The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Abigail Stern, owner and designer of MaTech, talks about breaking into the skiwear industry, the outdoors and fashion, and her work reinventing base layers. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and joining me today is Abigail Stern, designer and owner of MaTech. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good good to talk to you. Um, uh, you know, first and foremost, I should say thanks for all you do for our program. Um, it's been great to get to know you and connect, and and uh, you know, work with you and and connect you with students in our program. And and um, I know. Um, you know, you've you've really used the archive that we've built here on campus. So I'm excited about the uh, projects that we've worked on, the opportunities to to collaborate, and I'm sure there's more to come. So um, figured that context would be helpful. But um, I'm you know, the biggest fan of the archives. Oh, we'll get into the archives. I've got a few questions <laughs> on design inspiration. We can get into some of that too. But um, we definitely need to build out our ski archives a little bit more. We're, we're a little lacking there, but I think, I think there's some opportunity to really build that out. And I'm sure you'll, you'll love a lot to see of that. sassy vintage eighties ads that could be some nice flavor to the archives. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely build that out. Um, we're just getting started with that too. So, uh, but you know, first and foremost, I just, I wanted to learn a little bit more about how you got into this space. Um, you've had a really interesting career, I feel like already. And I feel like you're just getting going too, right? Like there's, there's a few more chapters, um, to what you're doing, but you've already done so much at the same time and had a lot Thank of different you. experiences. Um, and I wanted to dive into that a little bit because I think your story is really, really interesting and interesting for our students too. Um, I know quite a few of our students follow you on Instagram and, and they, they kind of look at what you're doing as like the model for what they eventually want to do, right? They want to create something wow. of their own. They want to disrupt. They want to create products that really mean something. And, and you're doing that um, with your company, MaTech, but, but it all started somewhere, right? Um, I guess, when did you... What was your connection to the outdoors growing up? Did did you have an initial connection or was there a moment or what what was that for like for you? I grew up in Connecticut in New York and um I in a huge family that was mostly boys. So like throwing all of us outside to run around or go water skiing or winter like skiing on a snow mountain or you know all the sports, soccer, lacrosse, tennis, like that was always um, sports kind of, I guess, were the, the first connection to the outdoors. And then where I really um, fell in love with the winter specific outdoors was when I got to university in Colorado, I went to Boulder. And it was the first time that 
I really got to view these activities as something that's not a super structured family trip, no ski school, no, you know, kind of being forced to go out because you had a lift ticket or something like I had a season pass that I bought in August. And then, you know, how it worked out back then with like the Epic pass, you know, if I went skiing, if I bought it in August, it would go up in price every week. And so the, the you'd make the price back just from going skiing like three times so then it's like oh okay you don't have any pressure you also have ski mountains like 45 minutes away so if you had a car or a friend with a car and no no class you could just go and it was like so easy and I could just enjoy having fun at this thing I had been doing I'd been skiing since I was like three in Vermont in Utah and my aunt lived in Telluride, so I learned how to ski there. Um, but it really just like opened up this whole new feeling for the mountain that wasn't super planned out, which I loved. Colorado will do that to you, right? Um, just being yeah. surrounded by that that culture and that environment. Um, I mean, that that was kind of my experience here in Utah. It's like you grow up in Utah and along the Wasatch, and you see the mountains every day. It's that's just kind of part of your day-to-day life is, is, uh, playing in the, in the outdoors. Right. So you don't really know any different or at least I didn't. Um, when did you realize that product is something that you were interested in? I'm sure like skiing, like really frequently you get, you, you know, you start to learn about product and maybe you start looking at it differently and you recognize, Oh, people actually make this right. Someone had to make this thing. Did you have a moment like that? And when, when did that happen for you? Um, I think I was, I was definitely always interested in clothing, um, to express like personal style. And I was very particular with, you know, like it was a very young age when I was like not letting my mom just shop for me without her and choose everything. Um, so I always loved product for, you know, personal style and expression and comfort And I was always like comfort first. Um, And then when I got it, when I first got into like actually learning how to make it, I think it was in Boulder when I was doing this, I was going to the mountains a lot. And I was mainly like, it's expensive to shop for the mountains. Um, And so, you know, I think that's a reason why it's like, historically there's been like a hard entry point into just people going out to the mountains um and it was like when I was in college it was like before athleisure or anything so it's not like I was just gonna be like oh I'm not gonna go buy that ugly base layer I'm gonna just wear my my normal leggings I love because like leggings weren't really even a thing and um so I was really just like wearing a bunch of my mom and grandma's hand-me-downs because not even because I necessarily, you know, it was my only choice. It was because I liked how they looked better than what was in the store. And I, you know, in college, you're even more obsessed with your, your daily and weekly budget. I was like, why would I go spend a thousand dollars on this whole kit that, I don't eat like I'm not going to feel cool in on the mountain, you know, like so it came to that. um, And then I was just, yeah, getting way more familiar with the space, like obsessed with looking at um, and searching for things to 
to buy or to test out and just not finding a lot of stuff that I really was interested in. Um, and then at the same time, like being with, you know, like friends that were professional snowboarders and telemark skiers that get all this stuff for free and it's the latest and greatest. And I'm, and just like either just like becoming very curious about like, why are these brands made like these huge brands? Like, why are they making these ugly things? And like, it started out for girls was my um, view just because I think I, I'm shopping for myself and I'm a girl and um, it's very much like cheesy, you know, like, I'm like, okay, no matter what I know, I'm just going to ask like, does this come in all black? Cause mm-hmm. I don't want the pink paisley print jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was so that from that I studied journalism in school and then from kind of that like sparked um, curiosity about just all the clothing on the mountain. And also I wasn't the only one. It's like you see the really cool like old guy with leathery skin and he's wearing that jacket he's been wearing since like the 70s. And you're like, that's the coolest jacket I ever saw, you know, so it's like, why can't we? just update the materials or the construction or whatever. So from there I went um, and applied to Parsons after I graduated. And so I was at Parsons from um, for two years for a fashion degree. And, um, and then I, yeah, I had never touched a sewing machine or anything. And it was kind of like a full two years of pattern making, draping, um, technical design, all that stuff. And I, because I think of my interest in getting, learning about how to make mountain that functions and performs on the mountain, I was always just more interested in the technical design part um, and fabric exploration. So that's where it started. Were were you able to customize your degree in a way where most fashion programs are focused on the fashion, not necessarily performance. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a, a few people who have gone and gone into fashion programs and they have to customize their degree in a way or really fight for, Hey, I, I really want to go the performance yeah. route. M- maybe that's not, um, as okay. uncommon now, you know, with, with the industry that we're a part of being as big as it is and growing, but did, did you have to fight for that at all? So it was a cool, I was, it was an associate's degree, which was typically a lot of the classmates were um, like, I was probably one of the youngest one coming straight out of college. Cause a lot of it was like people that were changing direction in their career or um, yeah, like me, like just even switching a degree. So because of that, I think because the age group was a little, it wasn't like an undergrad age. Um, they just let you be more flexible. Like some people did it in two years. Some people did it in more or a little less um, because a lot of people were working during that time. Like I had constant internships and I think that um, you have to take all the basic classes, but then when it gets into, uh, you know, electives and stuff, that's where you could get creative. And also since just the atmosphere was like, people that were more had been in the workforce or anything like the teachers were just um they were more flexible so like let's say for a draping class like I don't drape anything now but to make it more interesting for me then 
a hundred percent like instead of um you know draping in a silk jersey i would or a silk crepe i would be like can i use like a a similar thickness four-way stretch knit jersey instead and my teacher was like yeah of course like i can still see if you can do a butterfly you know twist or whatever it was so i'd say yeah and then the internships I tried to get, I mean, they're obviously the outdoor, there's not many outdoor brands or ski related brands based in New York, but so that's where I got into which brands work with these kind of materials. I work for a hard good ski brand. I work for um, a ski, like a, you know, an outerwear ski brand also um, then a streetwear brand and an intimates brand. So you kind of just, the, the program at Parsons was like very helpful, but I think it just comes down to you and what you're making of your time and how totally. creative you're going to get. Totally. That's so valuable. Um, you, you talked well, kind of along that, that same, same line of thinking, right? Like you've done so many internships, you know, I, I, how many internships did you do for that? I don't know if it was during while you were going to school or after how many internships did you do during that experience? During school, I did, um, I had like five internships during the two years, wow. but I also, I don't know. I, I, it might be an East coast thing growing up, um, in high school. I even like got summer internships and stuff. So mm. that's great. I, How- I mean, summer also internships has to have changed so much. I like graduated from high school in 2007 and, a paid internship was unheard of then, or even for right. a school credit or anything. So, right. Right. Absolutely. How did those kind of shape the direction that you wanted to take your career at, at that point while you were at Parsons, did you know that you wanted to do um, ski wear or in work in the outdoor industry, or was it through your internship experiences that you kind of guided the direction that Definitely you wanted to go? From like from Boulder, that's why I applied to Parsons. I wanted to learn how to make ski clothing mm. um, and snowboard and all just, you know, winter outdoor gear. But through the internships, I kind of, well, through Parsons, I was like, okay, what I'm most excited about function wise, if I was to work at a company is tech design, um, you know, like, doing technical sketches in illustrator are like the least stressful thing to me. They're almost like a brain massage Mm. um, compared to if I had to make a paper pattern based on something I draped. Right. Um, And so I think that all the internships, I just wanted to, yeah, get experience at brands that I was a fan of. And when you're working for a brand, you just, you get to see exactly what the brand's like. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you don't leave being a fan of the brand. Um, But I think all the internships made me like solidify that I wanted to be in the sports world of design. Through these internship experiences, did you have like the seeds of Matek? like there in the back of your mind ever since Boulder, like when did, when did that idea um, really, it took shape later on, but were the seeds of, of that idea there like that early on for you? Yeah, they were always like in the back of my head. I mean, I did a, 
Yeah, like I kind of in Parsons, I would still I would try and make things um, like I had a final project where you had to we had the only requirement was to make a a corset with boning um, and underwire. And I made a corset with boning and underwire, but built into a one piece base layer. Mm. So I have a one piece base layer now. So that was definitely the the beginning of it but I always uh, I mean I always wanted to get as much experience as I could before I felt like confident that I could actually go and start Montech right I, well, I imagine doing these different internships whether conscious or not you start to pick up things about companies right it's like what you don't like what you like how you want to run your own business um, what you definitely don't want to do in your own business I, I'm sure those were really formative experiences when you did eventually launch your own line and started your own company, were were those helpful experiences for you? Yeah, I would say even more than the internships that were the actual jobs I got after I graduated. Right, right. Well, maybe talk a little bit about that because I know you you had some time. You spent some time at Nike. What you know when when did you transition from internships to doing some freelance work to like that corporate you know full time experience? Yeah, I finished. I mean, I did it. I did not intern after I graduated because they were all for school credit and I needed to start my career. Um, And so I moved to California because there's, I pretty much had interned for all of the brands I wanted to by the time I graduated. I mean, I'm sure right now there's way more out uh, sporty brands based in New York, but at the time there weren't and so i moved to california because there was a lot more opportunity and i started freelancing while still applying for jobs um and so i was freelancing for you know a surf company then for asics and doing a little millinery because i had taken a millinery class and um in that that was probably like over six months all of those freelancer um experiences but still in the background applying for full-time jobs and that's when i um got an interview just from nike and got the job and moved to portland because that was kind of um nike was always like a dream to work at what what was the what was that experience like for you like the nike experience i'm sure that that was an education in and of itself um in a lot of different ways but yeah, what what was your role there? What 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 were some of those experiences that you had that really formed you moving forward? Yeah, I was on um, Nike Lab, which at the time had stores associated with it, and it was kind of we worked on all of the outside collaborations, um, and then a more exclusive high end line of Nike. And the I think the coolest the I mean out of it was probably the best corporate experience I could get. It was like the campus was really cool. It's truly like a big sporty college campus. Um, And you can, you know, you can obviously wear Nike to work, which is like leggings t-shirt if you want, which was cool for me. Um, And then it was, I think what the most luck, I don't know, lucky or because I was on that team, that's the only that was the only category at the time at Nike that worked on both men's and women's category and both streetwear or not streetwear um performance and lifestyle. 
So it was kind of like getting the experience of if I had worked at all those different categories, which at a corporate company to move around to all those categories could have taken years. Right. So from, you know, you're, I feel like you're kind of following this trajectory, like that, that you hear about as designers, right? It's like, okay, you go to fashion school, you do your internships, you do some freelance work, you get the, you know, some of that first job, like, and then you get to Nike, right. Kind of this, what seems like for most, like the pinnacle experience. Right. Um, and then you decide to go the path of like starting your own thing, right. And starting your own line and building your own company. Like what went into that decision? Um, I had, I, I knew I never, I didn't want to live in Oregon forever because it's, it is very um, normal to stay at Nike for like 10 plus years, but I didn't want to live in Oregon. My whole family's on the East coast. I had a bunch of friends. My now husband was in California so I, um, I, it was two and a half years and I kind of felt like I was like ready to leave Nike. And, um, then I just kind of took, I left in the summer and I took like a couple of months and I was thinking, oh, should I start my own thing or should I go back out to the workforce and get another job? And, um, I had just decided to go for it. And I guess, did you have the designs in mind? Like how, how long was that idea incubating? We talked about like, I guess the core idea was always there since, since Boulder, but when did it really start to take shape? Um, you know, the designs, like the initial product, like the brand, when, when some of that all come together? Yeah. I mean, I'm completely, you know, like bootstrapped. So self-funded and, um, you know, organic and stuff. So I, I think I land, I landed on, I wanted to, I knew that I had to start with a small collection and more something specific. I had always admired brands that kind of had like one item or one category of item that they were known for and loved for. And then from that trust of their customer loving that, they could then expand into other categories. So I chose base layers because those were the most boring part of the equation for me uh, as a consumer. You know, it was, there was nothing like sexy about it. There was nothing that was like the super technical stuff I felt was very expensive. And then like, there was just normal stuff that I'm like, why would I not just go to Uniqlo and get heat tech? Like, and so the price tag is still wild. And then the design was just not interesting. So I was like, at the very least, you know, and also for, for winter sports, your your first layer is like, arguably the most important if you're not if that gets cold or wet or heavy it's like it it doesn't even matter what your other layers are doing because you'll feel that first so I started with the base layer I wanted to um I've always been inspired by like the archival heritage references um and so a long john was always a huge part of outdoor sports and there weren't many out there. And also it's a huge, you know, it's, it is a task, a huge task to address the entire body in one piece. 
So that's where the material sourcing and the construction and fit and how stretchy it could be and how it could fit on most bodies was important. So I started with the long john. And then um, from there, I think later, I and because of my time at Nike, I also was like sports bras are kind of like denim. Like it doesn't matter how many there are out there each person's going to have their single favorite. It doesn't matter what brand it is. They're going to buy every color of it. So I was like, let me at least for, you know, selfish reasons, make my own favorite sports bra and see if other people like it. So I started with the long john and the sports bra. And then after um, samples and then I did, when I was happy with the samples, I did a wear test of 30 women um, in all sizes. And then from there I developed more and then, um, I decided to also create a two piece set. So when I launched, it was the long John, the full body long John and the turtleneck bodysuit and the legging and those all in two different colors and the two sports bras. That's, uh, and, and for reference, like, is that normal for like an initial launch, like a, a, a small operation like yourself, a collection? Like, is that a normal amount, like in terms of like comparatively? Like, is that a lot? I mean, well, is that, I don't, what's that... normal? Like, right. some, yeah. I don't know what normal means. It seems like a lot to 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 have that many pieces to launch. That's really impressive um, what you're able to do just, just yourself. Um, who, who was doing the prototyping, the sourcing? Like you were establishing those relationships. You were working with, with factories, like- how did some well, of that first, come together? Yeah, I mean, I did all of the technical design mm-hmm. and um, sourcing of the fabrics. And at first, before I went to a factory, um, I worked just with a pattern maker and a sample room. Was this in LA at the time? In LA, yeah. Yeah, because there's and, a lot of that there. It seems like there's a lot of pattern makers and prototyping and, and manufacturing there totally right? yeah and i wanted the reason why i started with a pattern maker in the sample room was just because once you get into the into the factory i think that they want to move you along in development faster and i needed time to think and i wanted um and then also just pricing you know like being self-funded you always have budget on your mind right so i wanted to be as efficient as possible and i knew that you know as a designer and technical designer, like my, you know, my closeness to the product and ownership of the tech pack and all that was super important to me. Um, So that's how I started. And then I moved to a factory that I'm still with um, in California and um, made the wear test samples. And then from that feedback, I had applied new changes and, I think that even from the the wear test feedback, there were some people that were like, because I obviously, you know, wear testing also, that was a Nike thing that came from me. That was like a huge takeaway um, because it's not just about the fit and the size. It's also about the fabric. I'm like, I might be a crazy person that is obsessed with this fabric and nobody else is. Mm, Thank God yeah. that wasn't the case. But um, yeah, wear testing is like the most... Um, useful to me. And I still do it with every product I launch. Well, it's, that brings up an interesting point, right? It's like some of our designers, our students, like, and I, I'm sure a lot of designers out there struggle with designing things for other people. They, sometimes you just get in your head, right? Like, I like this thing. I think this is cool. Like, this is what I want to create. And then I think wear testing brings you back home. Right. And you quickly probably realize like, 
oh, well, I was doing that for me, but that doesn't work for this person. You get some really unique insights when you get other people involved in the process. Yeah. And being, um, you know, the day-to-day person in the office and just even at that point, especially, um, you know, that was before I did any of, I didn't even have a brand name or a logo or anything. I hadn't got into like the website design or anything. Um, It was just me and the product. And so that, you know, being a one person team, especially at that point when it was like a true one person team, not working with any other outside people, I a hundred percent use all of my, my whole network as tools. Um, And it's kind of like a, a focus group always, you know, like I don't, you know, I'm a little sister, so I don't really care. Being the annoying friend is built into who I am. So I'm like constantly polling everyone I know from my mom and her friends and my grandma to my little cousin and his friends and, you know, just my friends of friends or my old Nike colleagues or whoever. It's like you really... I don't know. You can't be too sensitive to what they're, to what anyone's going to say, because again, like what you said, it's like, you don't want it to just keep it all to yourself and then launch it and be stuck in a place of, Oh, literally, I literally just made something for only me. Totally. Yeah. Well, and what, what was your workspace situation? Like, was this out of your home? Did you have a separate studio where you were working? Um, it was in my, in my home. Okay. What, I, have I, a, I have a Juki sewing machine that I got in when I was at Parsons because I was spending so much time at school till 2 a.m. And that I was, you know, so I decided to invest in for my mental health, a home Juki sewing machine to save kind of, you know, my life and time. If you're going <laughs> to sew, if you're going to sew until 2 a.m., you might as well do it at home and not at, at the school, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was the game changer. But so that Juki sewing machine has followed me to apartments to now this office I'm in. And um, yeah, so it was always a home office and basically just my Juki and computer. Well, I imagine like when you're starting something by yourself um, and you're working in just your home or your own studio, it's probably easy to fall into this echo chamber, right? Like of, you know, you're just, you're just you and your thoughts and your product. And, and in some cases, that's probably a really good thing like for focus. But like you said, it's, it's easy to fall into like, Oh, I'm making this thing. Cause I think it's the right decision, but that might not be the right thing. So you talked a little bit about having a network and really relying on those people. Um, I, I mean, especially during COVID, right. Where we're all like in our own spaces, right. Harder. Yeah, to... I, didn't, I did not launch the brand during COVID. So. Right. Well, yes, but, but like now running the brand during COVID, right. And, and you're, I'm assuming still creating products or, you know, exploring new ideas. Like how do you continue to stay connected with people um, and break out of the echo chamber? Um. The echo chamber. Yeah. Echo chamber of like kind of your own ideas, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm constantly using everyone as a soundboard. And um, also I think the, a huge thing during COVID when, you know, I definitely have 
slowed down in new developments. Um, I mean, it's not really part of the brand to overproduce or develop so much stuff. I like to keep it to my core collection. Um, but definitely it's been a reminder to everything can slow down a little and that's okay. You know, you don't have to receive a really important email you have to respond to and respond to it immediately. You can sleep on it. The same thing with the design. It's like, um, yeah, like, oh, am I choosing between, let's say I'm just choosing between a new balclava color to make. Um, you can wait around and ask a couple people or look at it or maybe print it out and look at it on the wall for a little in different ways like that. So definitely to slow down, I definitely, um, think that that slowing down has helped the creative process. Right. Well, I'm going back a little bit to kind of the origin of, of the product itself and the value of the product. Um, I think this is something I've run into when I've talked to, to materials companies, particularly a company like Primaloft, right. That's making, you know, the, the synthetic insulation that goes inside your jackets. Right. Um, it's like, how does a company like that build an affinity with a customer and build a trust when you don't actually ever like see or touch the product, right? Like you feel the effects of it, but um, for a lot of people that Primaloft logo on the hang tag of your North Face jacket is just, you buy it for the North Face. You don't necessarily buy it for Primaloft, right? In a lot of cases, you know, people in the outdoor industry are a little, are a little more plugged into to what's in the products, but um I imagine for you, that's an interesting, I don't know if you encounter that same thing. You talked about like base layers are just kind of that. It, they're just, they're, they're boring, right? It's just, it's an afterthought for a lot of people. Um, and that was the opportunity. It looks like you, you really seized upon. Um, but there's, I, I imagine there's something to that similar, similar to a primal off, right? It's like um, the base layer is covered up, right? It's the closest thing to your body but you also don't see it when you have everything else on and no one else sees what you're wearing on the mountain. Um, and, and I think you've done an incredible job with your social, like really putting that base layer to the forefront. Cause you have to, right. Like you have to show it and it's really attention grabbing and it really jumps out. Um, you know, were there some initial challenges that you faced or still face with that kind of that same idea of like, oh, my product is like typically covered up, but it's also so close to the body, which means that it should be one of the most important things um, that you really think about when, when you purchase this product is what is going to be closest to my skin. Any thoughts there? I know there was a lot there, but. I think though, yeah, the takeaway from all of that or what I think I saw as most um most important to express other than you know there's obviously all the all the specs of the the materials and the fit and why this is important even though you're not seeing it or um it's to me at, at first i used to like call them technical performance intimates because in the same way that you know your favorite underwear isn't seen it makes you feel different Right. If you know you have, you know, if it's laundry day and you don't have your favorite boxers or um, underwear, bra, like it it does make you feel different, even though people can't see it. Um, and so there's that. But then there's also the part of, you know, for me, 
the word like eco-friendliness it's not eco-friendly to put to create new things and put them out there but to create something that typically is you know used just for a specific activity people think base layer and they go straight to winter vacation but i'm like okay the design is there the technical function is there so it is for that moment but it's more sustainable and eco-friendly to not let it sit in that specific, you know, moment and just have it last through the whole year because it can, this product can function for you for the whole year and for every activity. And so to keep, you know, the core collection is like very evergreen and kind of keeps a circular closet, which I think is really just the, the best idea out there in terms of, you know, sustainable fashion, because if you keep your closets circular, then you're, you're using all your, you're loving everything you have. It's good quality and it lasts. And just in the same way that this whole idea started because I was wearing my mom's outerwear, it's like, yeah, typically base layers, you would not share, but they'll last that long. And if you're going to buy more, it's not because it's, you threw out the other one, it wasn't working anymore. It's because you want another color and you appreciate what this quality is. So I think also to push the idea that, um, you know, this is stuff for everyday life. This is, this is just well-designed in both, in both aesthetic and quality that it can fit into your normal life and these specific active moments. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think about myself, like I've got that winter box, right? It's like, and I feel like every outdoor person, like they have that box where it's like, oh, okay. You know, snow's falling. I got to go and pull out all my winter stuff, my winter yeah. gear. And it's like, I, I love that imagery, right? Of that, this, the circular closet and having something that, that isn't put into that box of like, you know, that we put it in that, oh, this is just for when I go skiing. Yeah, it's like right? the same thing of how we've come so far with, you know, like unisex and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like, I don't, you don't need to just shop in the specific section for the specific thing. It's like, we can be more creative in our habits like that. Totally. Well, and comfort being like a, a huge factor, right? So I, I love what you said about like anything that is close to your body, you know, underwear, like something that other people typically don't see, right? Like, but it's closest to you and it affects how you feel, right? Like that's, that's a huge responsibility to create something that just makes people feel comfortable. Um, and, and seems like that's where you can really build a connection with people, which it looks like you have, right? Like you build this connection with people because you're creating something that really alleviates, um, you know, a pain point for them, um, which I, I think is really special. I, I, I wanted to touch on the sports bra and I don't know, have you worked with uh, LaJean Lawson up in uh, yes. Portland? Okay. So I couldn't she, remember I if we had talked I, about her. Yeah. That's how I found out about you okay. guys. She's so cool. So she, um, I connected with her. She's like a member, I mean, a a mentor. Um, And she is just so epic. She like, I was connected through her, um, through her, one of the other, there was a tripod of women who created the first ever sports bra. Mm -hmm. So I was connected through a family friend with one of the other women who then connected me with Lejeune, who is just like, 
like the if you spoke like she's so young at heart like it's so crazy she's so with it she knows what's going on like she's so active and she was super inspiring to me and i was lucky enough to like as a favor to me we like fully put my sports bras through all the testing that she puts all of the you know the whole industry of sports bra through um and then when i was doing a wear test she got to wear tests and everything so it was like it was really cool for me She's incredible. Yeah. She's on our advisory board for our program because she went to Utah state and uh, got her master's here. Um, and, uh, so she's, she's been fantastic. We, we love Lejean. Um, but I, I love like everything she's talked about as like a sports bra is like equipment. Right. And that idea. And I think we're seeing companies who are moving more that direction, or at least they talk that way. Like remember black diamond, you know, would talk a lot about, well, our clothing, we're black diamond equipment. That's the name of the company, but we also make clothing and they've really talked about, well, no clothing is a, is a part of the kit, right? It's equipment. Um, so I, I think when you think about it that way, it's, I don't know, you just think about clothing in a different way when you think about it in those terms. And I don't know if you would go that far to say like your base layer is equipment. Um, but I, I, I know, I don't know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Like it's what makes something it's like gear Mm -hmm. or equipment. Like these are all functioning technical garments. Right. So I would say, I mean, yeah, I guess technically if it, if it's a product, that's performing for you. It's technically equipment. Right. Totally. Well, I love that idea with Legene and the sports bra. It's like, it is a piece of equipment that helps you perform. Uh, I mean, a sports bra is definitely equipment. Totally. I'm like, you know, that's, that's just, it's a crazy part of, I just say crazy part of the body to, to address just because on paper, 10 women can have the same exact measurements in person that area looks totally different. So how is this same garment going to address all of their needs? It's wild. Well, with that said, it's a really tough space, right? With that said for you as a small company, how do you account for that variability? I mean, you have massive companies who, who don't account for that for one reason or another, right? Like how do you try to ensure that your product works for the most amount of people as possible? That's, that's gotta be huge, a that huge I challenge would say for the, that's, I mean, the wear testing and the feedback, yeah. but again, you're not, you're not going to be able to help everyone. That's why I said, I kind of like come up with the analogy that sports bra is like denim where you're just going to find the one for you, you know? So like, it's okay to have competition in the market there. Cause I don't think that one perfect sports bra exists for everyone. Right. Um, you know, not even just based on what activity you're doing in it, but just based on that, it's a part of the body that can fluctuate so greatly between individuals. Totally. Well, w- what was the reception like? And, and well, I guess what was the launch like, first of all, like when you're launching a new collection, how do you, get it out to people. Like you've got your own network that you've built over time, but what did that initial launch look like? You put it on a website, you have a lookbook, you send it out to people. Like what, what was that like for you? Yeah. So I think that the, the best investment I did for launch was hire, um, work with a, 
a publicist. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, that kind of word just brings me to like Hollywood and stuff, but like for a communications professional, who's my very good friend who happens to be an amazing publicist and getting the word out there to press and stuff. I mean, especially when, you know, I, I didn't have a, I don't, I don't have a budget for paid marketing and paid social and stuff like that. So like, you know, you can basically assume that any of these, these brands that you're, you know, even if it's a small brand, Mm -hmm. if you're getting their retargeted ads every week or every day, like they have a a hefty budget um, to get it to you. So I was really just operating on organic. And so the press was huge because that gets directs people to your website. Um, Also wholesale account. I started out when I launched, I was also on Moda Operandi, a big website that um, has a huge marketing budget of their own. So that in itself is a tool. It's just like the most, um, that's like all, those are all the ways digitally, I guess, to get the word out. I kind of, you know, for better or worse, I just do organic marketing, which I think is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like old school in the way that it really brings a quality and a power to word of mouth, which I think for me, like I have a a blog called tips up and it's, you know, like on the chairlift when they say, put your ski tips up. And so it, um, the whole, it's just a very short casual blog and it's just the people's this, whoever the guest is, it's their recommendations on what they usually have in their pocket, you know, on a hike or on a chairlift or whatever, because that's like kind of, I don't know, so true to the industry is just like recommendations on the trail or on the chairlift of like, oh my God, who makes your, who makes your backpack? I love that backpack. And that's how you find out about a new brand, you know, outside from our digital space we're all used to living in right now. Well, the consumer is so savvy, right? Or much more savvy, smarter, like every, like we all just like can see through things. And I think a lot of us are seeing like Instagram is just, is becoming more and more of a ad tool, right? It's just a a vehicle to serve ads to people Mm -hmm. um, in in some ways. Um, And I think people see through that with, with brands, right? You know, no doubt like paid marketing really works for brands and and generates a a lot. Um, But I think people also see through and like they want authenticity, right? And so they, they recognize like an authentic brand, like a Matek, right? That's, that's doing things organically. And um, I, I don't know if you hear that from people, but, but from my perspective, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. Right. And there, I don't know if that pendulum is going to swing back at some point where people really reject, like, you know, a, a lot of the paid ads that they're being served up and they begin to seek out more authentic brands that are building these, these relationships. But I think there's huge value in that for sure. Yeah. I think that, I mean, no matter what, whether it's, you know, digital marketing or organic marketing repetition is like just what you have to do. So, you know, even if you're like, oh no, I hate an ad, like the 10th time you get it, you might click it. And that's that's the whole concept, but it's the same way for me. It's like, um, the, I might be saying about, oh, this, all our dick dicks are made from dead stock fabric. And then maybe on the, the 10th time of mentioning it, someone will say, Oh, what's dead stock fabric? You know, like they'll actually get interested. So. Totally. No, absolutely. Well, I wanted to talk a little like 
some of the larger issues in the industry too. And and you touched on some of this earlier, right? Like this idea of um, accessibility, creating product that's more accessible for people. And I mean, ski has largely been seen like for, I mean, decades is like this very exclusive, like luxury activity. Um, and I think even, I don't know if it's even more today, but it, it's, it's, um, it's a very exclusive activity for a lot of people. There's a lot of barriers to entry. There's a lot of restricted costs, you know, prohibited, um, you know, you talked that about that as being like a motivator for you, like creating product that, yeah, it'll work on the mountain, but it's accessible for anyone um, in like a cold environment, people who want to be comfortable and stay warm. Like how much does that drive what, what you're trying to create or continuing to create? Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, that's a huge, that's always something in the design process of, you know, even if the function and is specific for this product, like, is it, does it have a Mm -hmm. multi-use? Does it have, you know, not super specific moment that it's, you know, like, I, I don't know, just like my design philosophy is always like, don't be stuck into like a single category. Maybe that's where it starts, but like to be creative in expressing, um, to the consumer of, you know, this doesn't have to be just for backcountry skiing. This could be for if you're cold and going out to dinner too, or whatever it is, you know, um, kind of like express the function through these designs because it's not the case for all product. A lot of product, you know, like unless your style is super, you know, gorpcore techie, um, you might not want to wear your yeah your your base layer to out to dinner like that's totally normal um but that's why i think it's always it's always good because the the outdoors had i mean back in the day like a lot of these references that are like uber chic and stuff like that they didn't have tech like sports clothing so they were just saying oh what in my closet you know oh that's made of wool um I can wear that as a base layer. And that's why they look so chic because it was cross-functioning. Right. Totally. Do you you ever feel like the push and pull of, I mean, you are in the fashion space, but you're also doing performance. Like, are you also seeing like larger, I mean, we see like the North Face and Gucci and their collaboration, right? It's like fashion and outdoor, like colliding more than ever, it seems like. Um, how do you feel about that? You're, you're kind of a part of that in a way. Um, it's cool. I mean, I, I don't, I think the more people that feel welcome outside through, if it's through fashion or whatever it is, like, that's great. Totally. That's I've, I've heard. Yeah. A, a lot, lot of, of people got, get really upset and I don't, yeah. I yeah. Think trolls will be trolls. Honestly. Right. I, I think it's a lot of the outdoor people. A lot of the complaints that I heard about the North face Gucci was a lot of outdoor people, you know, people in the outdoor community saying, Oh, that's that. You know, I just, I don't know what the complaints were. There were a variety of complaints about it, but you know, people felt betrayed, right? It's like, this is a betrayal of what the North face is. And, and, and I, like, I, I like North, to all the, like, there's historically so many collaborations mm-hmm. between fashion and outdoor. Totally. If it's not for you, don't buy it. But like, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think that negativity 
you know, if someone's making a product that is like has a crazy carbon footprint or really bad for the world, like that's one thing. But if it's just like getting people outside through like, you know, that's that's encouraging people outside. And if they're if you're not the person that's going to if you're not going to buy, you know, like North Face has purple label, which is probably Mm -hmm. just as expensive as Gucci, you know, so. I don't know. To me, I was like, oh, that's cool. I wasn't like, oh, my God, these people stepping in my space. Like, it almost encourages. I was like, great. I would love, you know, that backpack. But yeah, that was my thought is just um, I'm I'm more in line with you. This idea of like, oh, well, if this helps people who traditionally wouldn't participate in outdoor activities, go and do that. And it exposes new audience to the outdoor industry. Then great. Yeah, like, the, you know, those people that are, those people that are, you know, super saying this is so bad for the outdoor, the outdoors in general, or the outdoor, you know, apparel world, it's like, what do they think about Montclair? That's a completely outdoor yeah. company. Totally. But they wouldn't buy it, or they're not their customers. So I don't know. I think the world is filled with a lot of people that, you know, either there was the whole cancel culture and negativity and, you know, who knows, but I don't think any of that makes anyone feel more welcome in a place they're trying to get out to, especially when like for me in the out the outdoors, even if it's your backyard mm-hmm. or a public park, that's like the the height of luxury in the pandemic, you know, if you can, if you can get your feet on grass, like you are, you're doing it, you know, like, so to discourage anyone, it's just silly. Yeah. I, I, not to bring this back to COVID, right. But it seems like everything does in some form or another, but it seems like it is like the reset, right. This opportunity for the, the outdoor industry to look at, look at itself and say, for the, for a lot of people, the outdoors is like the trail starts, you know, outside their front door. Right. And that's, that should be encouraged and that's a good thing. Right. So I'm, I'm definitely more of that opinion. Right. And I'd love to see the direction that we're headed. Right. Just outdoor doesn't have to be this, you know, certain activities It can be, however people enjoy activity or getting outside. So I love the direction that we're going. Um, May, you know, uh, we should talk about new products and products that you've re- released recently. You're even, you know, showing one off for us today. I mean, maybe yeah. do you mind touching on a few of the, the newer releases and, and what's coming? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I try, I'm because of pandemic slash just um, the brand ethos of keeping a circular closet and not overproducing. And really, I'm so proud of these core styles and I stand by them. Um, so I'll be going next season. I'll probably, I'm just making new colors in um, my mop mop balaclava, which was the new launch of this season. The base layers are staying core. I would love to, you know, make a, a two piece set for men and for kids too. And, but for now I'm just going to, you know, stick to my core and probably reproduce those with a couple little tweaks. Um, from feedback, but we have new colors of the balaclava coming, possibly a sock. If I get it to a place, I like it that matches the balaclava. Um, not a, you know, not a ski sock. It's just, um, like a gripper kind of slipper sock. 
um, for that, that cozy I'll pray or whatever moment you want. And then um, I always have new dictics. The dictics are um, all made from dead stock fabric, which I'm sure your students are very familiar with. Yep. Um, but the nature of dead stock is that when you like find a fabric, it's very unlikely that you'll be able to find it again. So, which makes them each dictic kind of like an exclusive colorway in its own. So those are always kind of newness when I find a new fabric. Well, and I think that's an, in- it's an interesting model because more and more I'm seeing people are both attracted to brand and want to be connected to, you know, that tribe, that community. Um, but people are also striving for uniqueness. Right. And so like the dead stock idea is like, you know, you can be affiliated, connected to Matech, but you also have this, you know, what feels like a unique piece, which I, I think is special. And we're seeing more and more of that. I feel like people want that yeah. uniqueness, but they also want to be connected to something. Yeah. And I always, um, I mean, I, I don't try and make anything that I'm, already have a favorite of at the bare minimum. So I hope all the pieces are unique to Matek. What, what is, um, it's funny. I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but the balaclava moment, I feel like the last few months, like I just saw, I mean, there were articles written about balaclavas. There's our friend, uh, Jameis Taylor who runs greater goods. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jameis and his work, but I mean, they did a knit balaclava. It just seemed like the balaclava was having a, a moment there for a little while and still is. Yeah. I love a balaclava. I think that maybe it was with like double masking or just like masking in general, it became more, way more mainstream, which is cool, but it's kind of always been mainstream to me. Like in streetwear, you see yeah. Supreme in stone Island, always making a balaclava. Right. Um, ours has a brim. So it's like, if it's under a helmet and keeps out the sun and I've tested it for on mountain and off and, I love it. That's great. Well, I, you know, a couple other thoughts before we, we wrap up. Um, but, you know, again, wanted to thank you for providing opportunity for our students. I know we've had yeah, a couple of students who providing your students. They're, they're great. And I know they love the opportunity. Um, yeah, I know. And we, we touched on this earlier, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about inspiration. Like where do you draw your design inspiration? And I know you've really liked the archive, um, and we're hoping to do more on the ski side at some point, um, in our collection, but where do you draw your design inspiration? Where do you find that? Yeah, I, I mean, aesthetically always usually from it, it honestly, it's, it usually doesn't start with the aesthetic and that kind of, I'm usually inspired by problem solving. I think that's because of my technical design and product development background. So either a problem in a product to solve or an activity that I want a product for to solve. Um, So it starts at that, like that kind of brainstorming for, for problem solving for whatever it is at hand. And then um, I'm always constantly obsessed with, you know, like the vintage ads and vintage imagery and those those do inspire the design aesthetically, but not as much as they inspire just how I'm later going to um, showcase the design in, let's say, a photo shoot or something. So I'd say that that's where they mainly also like I'm like hugely like obsessed with the the copy and stuff like in the outdoor world and 
ski snowboard specific but just in general like the ads used to be so sassy and i love that um and i think that has played into a huge inspiration in just the brand in general and the copy and etc but which which yeah like i you know it's cool to see other people now i think because of the um i'm sure a lot of people are appreciating your archive and stuff but it is maybe due to the fact that we're stuck on the computer and looking at these things and then also having a new appreciation for the outdoors in general because of the pandemic but um yeah i've always i've always wanted to kind of be inspired by the past but updates with the future in terms of function and fit and performance of and materials and etc so all those things kind of work into all of it well i know for us like with the archive like you said um i know with a lot of people not being able to travel or you know larger companies taking those design trips out to you know to the major cities or out to different destinations it's like you have to find inspiration in other places and i i I think that definitely helped, um, you know, drive people to our collection and looking to the past, um, and reflecting on that. But, um, well, this has been great. I, I, you know, it's great to talk to you more, learn more about your, your story and, and what you're working on. And again, we're, we're, we just appreciate your support of the program, the collection, our students, um, you, you know, anything you need, let us know. And we're happy Thank to help you. any way we can, but how do people stay in touch with you? I know Instagram is, is a, a you know, great, great way to keep up with all your work, but yeah. how do you want so people to reach check out to us you? Out on Instagram at, at modtech.clothing or email at hi at modtech.clothing. Perfect. Well, Abigail, thanks so much. It's great. Great to connect Thank with you. you. Great to talk with you. You too. Have a great day, Chase. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor industry leaders and enthusiasts, subscribe and listen wherever podcasts are found or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast.